Hi there and welcome to the inaugural EMU Inc podcast. We're delighted to be here launching what we hope will be a place of interest to educators, parents and sports clubs alike. At EMU Inc, we turn pupils into published authors. We help schools and clubs to record their histories and we create publications that bring people together. On this podcast, we will explore the links between schools and sporting communities and the topics that matter and are relevant to both. Over the coming months, we will have guests from the worlds of education and sport, but not exclusively. I am joined today by our panel of experts, published writers Angela Power and Fintan McCutcheon. Angela is a former principal of St. Oliver Plunkett's Reading School in Monkstown, Dublin, and member of the National Principals Forum. And Fintan is the former principal of Balbriggan Educate Together National School and currently associate lecturer and published academic in the field of multicultural education. We are all pretty tired of the word pandemic, but the truth is that we are all also still recovering in many ways. And one particular group we want to focus on today, with that in mind, is children. So something that we did over the pandemic was launch the COVID book project. The COVID book project was aimed at schools, pupils, children, writing about the pandemic, talking about their experiences from lockdown right through to returning to school, their coping mechanisms, the new skills that they learned, whether it was baking, improving their tennis in the back garden, having picnics, what life looked like through the pandemic. And then, as I say, right through to kind of returning to school and what that felt like. One recurring theme that we found throughout every book, how much they missed sport, how much they missed friends inside school and outside school. So what we want to talk to today is about the effects. So Fintan and Angela, what you saw, how you saw children change, what they said that they missed, you know, and what it is about sport that brings kids together and why is it that sport means so much? For the children in our school over the pandemic, for schools to be taken out of the equation and them having to learn online at home, they would have missed, in our school, they would have missed their, of course, their physical education with all of the strands that are involved there. Uh, but also their lunchtime clubs uh, uh, in in sports, and they would have also missed their after school clubs in, in sports. Then they would also have uh, missed uh, the opportunities that we would give to local sporting organisations to come in and uh, promote their games through um, quality coaching uh, in the school. It would have meant for the vast majority of our children, it would have meant a, a complete shutdown because we would have had amongst our number a lot of parents who are very trusting of the school. So if the school, um, you know, um, was doing athletics and and Gaelic football and tennis or whatever as part of the PE programme and providing things like that in the after-school programme, the parents would sign up because they felt uh, quite assured that the school would do it well. Also, if we were allowing coaches in from the local rugby club and soccer club and cricket club, etc., again, they would feel very reassured because they would have understood that we would have seen these as as organisations with, with appropriate standards and and that. So for a lot of our children um, who would not be as embedded in the community as as in other locations in the country, this brought the pandemic brought all of that to a complete standstill. And yourself, Angela, what about you? Can you tell us a little bit about your background in the schools and what it was that stands out in particular for you? Well, the school would be a particular type of school in that it is a special school for children with reading difficulties who leave their base mainstream school and come to us for two years. 
So they would come from a, every conceivable background. So one of the areas that did help them to have a sense of where they were in school was to involve local clubs. And exactly the same as Finton, even though it is quite a different school, they really missed that. And there's another level to the children that we were work, working with in that they had a lot of difficulty in belonging to a mainstream classroom. So they had a sense of belonging in their small nine children classroom where they were with people who had similar difficulties with reading. And the involvement in sport helped to gel them as a group and helped to embed them a little more in the community in Monkstown. So I totally agree with you when you say that this was a recurring theme with the children. They missed that and they missed that connection. And it tended to make the creation of a school community much more difficult when you didn't have that there. I can imagine, even though you're both very uh, different uh, school backgrounds, that sport is very important, like you say, to help children to gel and to feel like when we when we ran the COVID book project, we were always very determined, you know, when, when we would explain it to a school like this is socially inclusive. Uh, it's about it's not about the best writers. It's about children expressing themselves, getting to put things out. And we're and they're all equal. You know, they will all be published at the end of it. Um, and everybody is is different. And we're going to celebrate those differences. I think like with sport um, it with both both of your backgrounds there, like, you know, Angela, your students would have had their difficult difficulties. But equally, Fintan, all students have different difficulties. I think when you're on a field and you're part of a team and you're playing together, that creates a whole different environment for kids. Like, you know, and I know, of course, there are there are kids that are fantastic at sport and kids that are not so fantastic. I was on the not so fantastic at sport, definitely. But I was on every, I was on every B, C and D team. I didn't care. I felt a part of it. And that very, very much came for me from the school. So how do you, how do you as principals, you know, teachers encourage that, you know, that there, so there's sportsmanship, there's competition, um, but how do you encourage everybody to try equally hard, but also to enjoy it? Where does it start in schools? You know, there's obviously the curriculum and what you have to do as part of the curriculum. What's the real route in the schools? Like, how do you set an ethos for that? A very, very good thing in the Republic of Ireland is that every trained primary teacher is a trained physical education teacher as well. It's a very important part of the of the training course for teachers, whether it's the Bachelor of Education degree or the PME degree for graduates. So um, all teachers have, to a greater or lesser degree, the basic um, qualifications and interest and obligation indeed into teaching a good physical education programme Children are obliged to get uh, at least one hour a week uh, of of physical education, and then the school is provide is obliged to provide the resources uh, w- with which to do that. Now, uh, as school leaders, um, we would also have uh, tried to organise at whole school level um, the school's participation in um, sporting events. Uh, that uh, are run also by primary teachers. And I am refer in the area where I taught, uh, both the Dublin uh, Common and Mon School uh, f- would have provided very heavily and, and excellently 
uh, for Gaelic games. Uh, so schools would have had the opportunity to have um, uh, hurling and football for boys and girls. Um, and then also in particular, uh, the athletics. Now also Fingal County Council uh, were really good as well. Uh, and in particular, the, their sports division uh, kicked in with some excellent uh, cross-country athletics events. Uh, for for children and they would have listened to teachers and schools saying that you know can we have this f- perhaps for slightly younger teacher younger children because um uh, very often competitions are only for fifth or sixth class so that they okay. would have they would have provided cross country opportunities for third and fourth class um and uh so schools uh, uh um then another layer then would be uh, schools um, would have also like uh, uh, called upon teachers and uh, to um, to organise for uh, sporting competitions uh, within the school, um, and you know um, a lot of schools um, would have had lunchtime, you know, uh, basketball blitzes and lunchtime uh, Champions League soccer leagues, and um, and then also uh, after school clubs. Uh, where teachers would be encouraged and incentivized to uh, provide um, children with um, with a range of sports clubs that the children can sign up to. And again, in the particular context of our school, uh, that was uh, something that our parent body uh, really appreciated uh, and also relied upon because there was a trust level there uh, between the parents and the school that what the school will do will be organised properly uh, standards of discipline and anti-bullying will prevail. There'll be gender equality in it. There'll be equality for children with special education needs within it. Uh, and that the teacher knows the child quite holistically, uh, like the teacher has has that child for the duration of the day. So, so at both individual classroom level and at whole school level, um, the school uh, would have would have endeavoured to provide a healthy, wide menu of sporting opportunities uh, for the children. I think that's something that um, a lot of people don't realise. Like like a lot of what goes on in the schools, I don't think people would have that that picture. Uh, like, you just, when you're speaking there, Fintan, it reminded me of somebody I spoke to recently. And as you know, I have three small kids and we're forever on the football pitch down, you know, for gymnastics, like swimming, everything, like r- r- constantly running around. Um, but I spoke to somebody recently and we were talking about her kids and I was saying, you know, what you know, what sport are they doing? She's saying, well, they do, oh, she was saying, they're, I'm, you know, we're wrecked. They do swimming and they do football and they do. And I was like, all oh, right. I said, that's great. Yeah, I know, I know exactly how you feel. And I said, and where do they, uh, where do they play? And she was like, well, not with a club. They actually go with the school. Like, and I was saying, oh my God, that's absolutely brilliant. Like it, they're, there's a huge, like you say, Fintan, like parents trust the schools you know, to to do that for the kids as well. So there is a reliance in some families like that that's where the children get their sport from. Like they know that that's something that's going to happen and that's a fantastic thing and credit to the schools um, for doing that, you know, on top of everything else. Um, but I suppose as well, um, listening to you, Fintan, about like kind of listing those things off, it is, it's when that's taken away that's even bigger than we can imagine, you know. And Angela, I wanted to ask you, um, have you any specific examples like of, you know, like you you talk about community and your school, like it's difficult for kids because they're 
uh, they leave after two years every year and they're coming from different outside communities. Um, what did you feel? You were speaking to people like, you know, you were there was remote access to you all of the time throughout the pandemic for parents, for children. Have you any specific examples of, you know, what it meant to have that huge loss um, for kids with pupils? What were parents saying to you, like mental health wise, health wise, you know, like we're all trying to avoid screens all the time. Um, but it was very, very difficult in the pandemic. So sport was a huge loss. What What were you hearing? It was a huge loss because we would have, we wouldn't be able to do, for example, what Finton did, which is have after school sport because all of the children were bussed or the vast of majority of them were bussed. And they would leave when the school finished. Now, there were a small cohort of children that could stay behind or could be collected, but it was quite limited what we could do. But we brought in um, sports coaches through the Dunleary Ratdown Sports Partnership, through Monkstown Leisure Centre, from uh, two of the local GAA clubs. And they did sports skills with the children and they loved it. And like we were, you know, we were chatting about before, uh, some of our children, because they had disconnected from the mainstream classroom, would really shine in other areas. And some would already be really good at sport. And it was a fantastic opportunity for them to show off their skill. And the other side of it was there, which I always think children love, is there were people coming in from outside. And in our case, we were an all-female staff. So there were some male coaches coming in, which is fantastic for the children to have that mix. But your specific question about what they missed, they would all, I think, have referred to that. We obviously did a lot of, you know, lockdown, you know, how are you getting on? Um, send me pictures, write to me, tell me how you're doing. Yeah. I think I would, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it certainly would be very high. The number that said, oh, we miss Dave, you know, he's not in to do sports with us. Oh. So we did try to do, you know, virtual sports day where they were out, you know, in the garden and running up and down and doing mad things. But it was I mean, we all know, I mean, look, I was the world's worst at sport and particularly <laughs> team sport. I was running away from the ball instead of toward, towards it. So I can't really sit here and talk about, you know, how the value of sport because I was always hiding from it You're not when I was a child. So, but they, they all missed, they were able, it wasn't the skill building they missed, it was having the crack together. Yeah. And the team thing. You raised something very interesting there, Angela, um, uh, uh, something that I hadn't mentioned earlier. Um about about school being the gatekeeper for sporting organisations uh, coming into the school and um, and indeed that has become um, an expanding area I would think over the last um, ten to fifteen years um, I think the GEA um, would have led the way here and um, and I have to say um, there was a very good design and uh, rollout of programmes. Uh, for by by the GEA uh, head office with regards to training uh, quality coaches coming into primary schools because it's not every manager or trainer of an underage team in the club that is capable of coming into into schools and doing things right uh, and I would say um, the GEA were the first set of people to realise that uh, from their earlier efforts say in the early late 90s, early noughties, where, you know, uh, where that was the model. Uh, it then became instead that uh, clubs or clusters of clubs, uh, if you like, uh, were, were financed 
in order to um, uh, engage a properly trained coach. Very often trained primary teachers, but not always. And they would come in and they, uh, they would come in. Now, other other sports um, um, perhaps learned uh, from that model and some have, I think, have still uh, to, to learn from, from, from that model. Um, and as um, schools and as school leaders, um, sometimes we would have had to, um, if you like, impress upon um, local organisations that, well, if you want access uh, to the children in the school, you have to be top quality. Um, so some, some uh, local sporting organisations were happy to simply use the school as a way of communicating uh, with home. Like take, for example, Parks Tennis, which is a really, really excellent uh, community uh, tennis association. Uh, Parks Tennis would be happy to send around their local officer and he would have, um, or, or he or she would have enough photocopied little slips to, to send home with the children to tell them how much it's going to cost, where it's going to be on and what is the registration night for it. And that would have been the beginning, middle of end of what Parks Tennis we're looking for from the school. And then at the top end, uh, we would have had like the, the GEA proper coaches. Uh, and they would have had, if you like, uh, very much uh, an interest in developing uh, a love of Gaelic games across uh, all of the children in the school, not just the children who are coming down already to their club on a, on a, on a Saturday or on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, but across all, all of the children. And they very, very uh, quickly uh, got, you know, gender equality, the importance of gender equality in that. They very, very quickly got the importance of inclusion of children with special education needs in that. Now, I would say perhaps all other sporting organisations are somewhere on, 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 on that continuum. And as as school leaders over the years, we would have had to um, say to some sporting groups, no, your your um, your approach to this, uh, we s- don't want you simply coming to the school in order to recruit the very best players for your club. That we can't stand over that as 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 a school, um, uh, and so uh, one really excellent example in our locality um, um, was the local cricket club. Now, cricket is a very popular sport in North County Dublin. Uh, it has got no airs and graces about it. It's a very, it's a very popular sport. But um, the cricket club um, in the Balbriggan area, and indeed a lot of the cricket clubs in the Balbriggan area, uh, would, would, have, would have seen that uh, their sport had a particular appeal to the diversity of the demography that were in our school. A lot of our, our young our children from Middle Eastern uh, backgrounds and uh, English backgrounds uh, would have uh, loved the idea of, of playing cricket in the locality. And indeed, the clubs themselves had a rich tradition of inclusion, of, of diversity. So there, here was, a, here was a, a meeting of minds and a very progressive local club who, who saw both that opportunity. They recruited um, quality coaches who they brought to the club as a playing professional often from South Africa or Zimbabwe or Pakistan. Um, and these um, these uh, cricket professionals, like it came into the school, um, they also came in with, a, with, a, with a, if you like, a set of apprentice coaches and they coached the children. And for, in our school, these were role models of, 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 of people from these backgrounds 
uh, given the status in in the school, uh, uh, and they would have been um, excellent in that regard. That's really interesting on so many levels. So you've got kind of the you've got the side of the. I, I don't think anyone does community like the GA. Uh, you know that kind of instilling in everybody that sense of mm-hmm. sport, that sense of community, and and you always get that feeling. I think in the GA that what they want most is for kids to you know love, live, and breathe. You know, hurling, camogie, um, football. Um, then you've got what you mentioned there, like with essentially people scouting uh, for business. Um, and while I can understand that, um, you know, and, and everybody gets something out of it, you know, they're coming into the schools and they're, you know, they're given a little bit and then they're reaching out to the parents. They're looking for a market in there. Um, I think what I can see from that, from what I'm hearing, is the difficulty is that as schools, as principals, you spend so much time, like you said earlier, Angela, and the same Finton, um, you spend so much time encouraging kids, like trying to, to keep them all on a, you know, level playing field, no pun intended, you know, that that it's, that everybody feels equal and everybody, how do you manage that if somebody is coming into a school, you know, and there's, there's the gender, um, there's a gender, you know, equality remit in schools, you know, Fintan, earlier on, um, we were talking about this and saying, you know, that, that scouts, they're not, they're not officially scouts, I know, but they're coming in looking for the best players um, for their clubs. Um, and a lot of the time, and this is not to go on about like the gender end of things as a woman, but a lot of the time it's the boys that they're, you know, that they're after. Um, and I know there's some great things going on out there now with the likes of her sport, um, encouraging girls in sport in every area of sport and 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 women's sport is a lot more there's a lot more coverage and it's you know it's that's because there's so much great women's sport out there that it's getting more and more in the headlines and we're getting more coverage and everything and that is brilliant but as principals how do you manage that in a school so you if you invite somebody in and you know they're going to get cricket lessons or they're going to get tennis lessons or whatever it is out of it but if you see this happening how do you manage that how do you you spend all this time encouraging kids you know for everybody to get involved and we're all equal and it's all about everybody you know trying their best and achieving but then somebody comes in and because kids are very sensitive can be very sensitive and they're not they're not fools. You know, they can see that if they're going to be, oh, John, you know, is he's the best cricket player in the school. The club are going to take him like, you know, but they're not going to take me. Like, you know, how do you how do you manage it? I suppose is, is the question. Angela? What? I think you can spot it a mile away for a start. And I, I think, you know, you do, and, and Finton, I'm sure, would agree with this. You get a huge amount of offers all the time for people that want to get in the door of a school. And a couple of well-placed questions will soon sort out what's actually going to come in the door to you. Okay. You know, if you if you ask them what their understanding of, in our case, what do they understand dyslexia to be? Uh, what is the makeup of their club? And if they do get in, you know, if in our case, I know this sounds awful, so apologies in advance, I always ask them to do it for nothing. Okay. First. Right. Because that'll usually separate out an awful lot of what you're looking for. Because if they're genuine in what they want to bring to you, yeah, It can be worked out later if there's going to be a payment. But let's see what it's like first. Come in, show me what you do. Um, and you'll very quickly, the staff will tell you, the children will tell you, you'll see it for yourself, keeping an eye on what's going on. And in our case, we would have had 
some extraordinary people came in and we would have had some not so extraordinary people who came in but the not so extraordinary usually leave or are helped to leave pretty quickly. Okay, very good. That that actually raises another really interesting point. Um, very quick question for both of you. How much do you rely on children's feedback and how seriously do you take it in all in everything not just in sport but Angela you mentioned when you, you bring somebody in to the school and you know kids feedback parents feedback um, how much weight does a review from a class carry Fintan? Um, well we would have asked the children in, in the first instance um, you know what what sports they wanted to access the school in the first place Okay, uh, and you know, soccer being as popular as it is, uh, you, you would you would you would get this. So in many ways, the the door was already open uh, for soccer uh, to come along. Uh, now, um, in in our experience, um, um, soccer doesn't follow the the, the GEA model of having uh, qualified um, coach school coaches. Uh, they have a lot of very well-qualified um, club coaches. Okay. Um, so um, we would take the opportunity then to say, okay, you, you can take your club coaching, which would be to do with uh, training the under-14 team, under-13 team, etc., whatever. But you also have to you also have to look at, well, you know, there's going to be 30 people here in the classroom you and and a few things like that. So just as, as Angela says, you, you would ask the good questions. And of course, in this day and age as well, everybody has to have their proper um, child protection uh, guidelines and place and have those documents ready ready to hand over to you. Um, and then also, we would always insist as well that the teachers remained present and the teachers would be uh, the absolute antenna of the school. Uh, they would come along and say, you know, uh, um, if a coach was absolutely motivating with the children, or if a coach was offhand with the children, uh, and 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 that. So so yes. So certainly o- over the years, uh, one good thing um, that we were often asked as as well that I think if anybody is listening uh, is 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 interested would be we would have insisted as well that uh, when they're coming into the school that they have to be as interested in the junior infants, the four year olds and five year olds and six year olds as they are in the children who, if you like, are already acquiring sporting acumen, such as the fifth class and the sixth class. Um, and uh, they, they have to be as interested in, in that. They have to be as interested in the boys as the, gir- in the girls as the boys, the boys as the girls. They have to be as interested in the, in the, in the children who don't play um, uh, the sport uh, don't attend their club on the Tuesday night or Thursday night or Saturday. And indeed, we often found ourselves over the years having to support sometimes uh, the coach who was coming in to remind the club they were coming from that these guys, these men and women, were doing really good work. And uh, But even it didn't necessarily result in children coming into the local rugby club or into the GEA club on Saturday. They were still achieving other things at a very high level. Um, um, like um, very often a club, especially like when get to get a coach would involve serious amount of application. They would have to prove their bona fides to their national organisations that we're worth, uh, you know, you, you sent in a coach to and things like that. Uh, some people in the club might look at success there rather narrowly uh, and say, has it resulted in the under-14 team or the under-12 team winning the county championship. 
uh, or has it resulted in a squad of about 20 uh, children on the under 10 team or whatever in that. And very often their efforts in schools, in our school, wouldn't result in that. Uh, uh, it wouldn't result in parents prioritising their sport on a Saturday over their personal interests or maybe their church or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had to remind the club sometimes that no, but what these guys are doing in the school, yes, these children are enjoying Gaelic football. They yeah. mightn't turn out to play for O'Dwyer's GEA club, but they are enjoying Gaelic football. They're learning the skills. Who knows, in the future, they may well be the supporters of, of the club. They may well be bringing their children to Gaelic games, etc. The criteria for success can't be narrow. Yes. Uh, and the same for rugby and the same for other, uh, other sports. Like, you know, children might have learned an appreciation of the sport, appreciation of the skill involved, etc., that they will will be uh, serve them very well in in adulthood, without necessarily having uh, turned out to be in the local tennis club or in the local GEA club. Absolutely, like at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter how much you do within schools. Like you can't make everybody love playing sport, but people can love to watch sport. They can love to support. Um, one thing uh, that that I find interesting there, Finton, is. There's a big thing in sport. You don't switch your clubs. You don't switch your. So, do you find that that happens in the school? If um, you know, I say I know my local school. There's a connection, and particularly in in bigger bigger city areas, I'd imagine there are a few clubs. So, in your in your small country, there's one club, one school, maybe like for for certain sports. Like in the cities, you've got a few clubs, maybe like there might be a couple of GA clubs, like two or three soccer clubs. Would you find as a principal if if all those things like I like I like the way you say the teachers are the antenna in the school so they're they're watching if they're not overly happy if if somebody comes in from a club and they're you know out for the one thing which is to find the, the top players and and take them away or whatever uh, or take them into their club um if they're not covering all those bases for you as a school do you switch clubs you know do you do you, you do you go after the next club? That wouldn't apply to us, you see, because the local clubs that were coming in yeah. to work with the children weren't necessarily seeing any benefit from it because the majority of the children lived a long way away. Of course, yeah. But what it might feed into would be um, children, I'm just thinking of one particular little girl actually, who developed an absolute passion for rugby, even though we oh. weren't rugby coaching at all. It was basic wow. ball skills. And she became a really good rugby player in her local club in Wicklow. Brilliant. So that wouldn't apply to us because we wouldn't have any school allegiance to a local club, even though they were ultra generous. And I think what Finton said there about, you know, providing documentation was extremely important. But a working knowledge of, you know, uh, child protection and, and an instinctive awareness of it. It wasn't uncommon for coaches that came in to point out what they thought were difficulties with particular children or flagged children. We may have been aware of it already, but the fact that they flagged it was very impressive to me. Yeah. That they had picked mm-hmm. up on something that we may have been already aware of, but they noticed it yeah. as independent. So they're another layer in the school of, they bring so much to a school. And I suppose if they are listening, I would appeal to clubs to develop that side that they would liaise with primary schools in their area because they bring so much to schools, uh, in my experience. Anyway. Yeah, and as Vinton says, it's, it's 
it's kind of maybe it's educating the clubs like to see beyond um, the the player focus, mm-hmm. like the specific mm-hmm. player focus to bring them back in. So Fintan, the spotlight's back on you. You're a very loyal Cavan, uh, Cavan fan and you've been in Dublin for how long? So would would you would your school switch clubs uh, if needs w- be? Well, I feel that um, the GEA would have always pre-worked this out. Right. Um, and like... Um, Parishes and parish schools and town and where there's a single town school, I think um, it's already understood that um, that you know um, that the um, it is in our case I say it was O'Dwyer's GAA club who had who facilitated the coach coming to our school, uh, so it was O'Dwyer's um, GAA club that the children were invited to of the Tuesday evening, Thursday evening, Saturday. Uh, and that so that didn't arise with the GEA because they had this, uh, they had it prearranged, you know, okay. like uh, 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 and we saw we saw nothing wrong with yes. with, with that. Now, unfortunately, um, I wouldn't say that was the case in in soccer, um, uh, and very often um, because of the way soccer is organised, and I, and I'm I played junior soccer myself until I was uh, forty nine years old. Um, uh, they, they very often. Uh, junior and underage soccer clubs can be um, competing with each other, uh, and their success criteria might be, uh, you know, whether uh, their teams are winning uh, competitions, etc. Yeah. Whatever. So, uh, so I found that, uh, you know, um, there you would you a school could run into difficulties. All right, if they were facilitating uh, one soccer club over another. Mm. Uh, and then often there's a there's a disappointing thing for local soccer clubs as well, in in so much as there can tend to be sometimes a, a tendency amongst soccer parents to feel that their children outgrow the local soccer clubs and want to go into the city to what are the clubs with the with the with the reputations for um for being places where scouts yes. from cross channel clubs what watch. Watch matches regularly, so I think that's that's an issue that, like, perhaps the FAI really wouldn't need to look more closely at, and perhaps facilitate uh, and support local clubs better uh, than leaving it to them to scramble in 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 the locality. Um, but I wouldn't like to put across the idea that um, that schools uh, find you know. Um, Coaches and how they perform in schools as as a, as a as a negative issue. Yeah. Um. They uh, for every one or two uh, coaches who over my um, twenty years as principal who I've had to remind you don't crack a homophobic joke in our staff room or yeah. something like that. And there would have been to the odd time when we've had to do something like that. Yeah. Uh, there's been ten coaches who have contributed uh, to our staff, um, and. Like often, um, they will leave behind a legacy as well. Uh, like because of our children's love of cricket and the, and a lot of their parents' uh, love of cricket, uh, very often uh, we uh, as teachers didn't feel that we had the say the junior cricket skills uh, with which to teach. Them. So so going our teachers uh, being present to a proper coach in cricket and seeing his notes 
and planning yeah. and preparation and their manuals and taking the manuals off them when they were leaving, uh, you know, and and continuing to do that ourselves as part of our professional development. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think... Um I think what you're saying there just proves everything, you know, that I think everyone's always known, but there's a, a much deeper level when you're involved with a school that mm. school communities and sporting communities are very much intertwined. Um, and it's really interesting, Finder, because, you know, you, you say th- there's a there's a requirement on the curriculum, you know, that teachers are trained to a certain level. But just like you can't expect everybody to love playing sport and be on every single team, you can't expect teachers, you can ex- you can expect, I suppose, you know, due to the curriculum that they can go so far, but to bring in people that can bring that even further and encourage that even more is absolutely fantastic. Um, and as Angela says as well, the fresh face doing it. Like, yeah. like uh, you know, the, the, the fresh face of, uh, um, of uh, the the rugby coach or the or the soccer coach or the GA coach, like, you know, um, gives the children a, a little fill-up in the day as well, you know, um, uh, and uh, and then if the if the teacher is both present and then perhaps sometimes uh, co-teaching uh, with with uh, with the coach, yeah. uh, then that is a, a very happy situation, you know, um, children then will get a lot of attention on the skills and things like that. So uh, win-win. Yeah. And just think if if uh, sport is so positively instilled, um, people can do what you did, Fenton, and not retire until you were forty nine out of junior soccer. That's very <laughs> impressive, and it, it reminds me a bit of my dad, who I think was he was forty eight or forty nine, and there was a he he played GA for years, um, obviously for years, and uh, the slag in the in the dressing room was always like they had to extend the nail for him to hang up his boots. Um, so you're, I think you sound like you're pretty similar. Can I just add a point there that I retired when I was 13? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not far off either. Um, so any any final thoughts before, uh, before we wrap up? I would just like to impress on anyone that's listening the, the richness that is brought by having outside coaches and I echo everything that Fenton said about the amount of learning that goes on at a staff level, even just the bit of crack, you know, that they come in and they're coming in from a different perspective. You know, they haven't been sorting out four fights in the yard before they come in and <laughs> they're coming in with a kind of a lighthearted. It always went very well and they became sort of an, an additional part of the staff. Yes. And became very important to staff and very, very much honoured semi-staff members. So I would endorse that relationship between local sporting groups and schools 100%. I've nothing but positivity to to Fantastic. feel about it. It was absolutely wonderful. Brilliant. What about yourself, Fintan? Um, I'd, I'd just say um, schools too um, should not become the club that necessarily wants to win everything either. And uh, we reasonably quickly segued from trying to have it that, uh, you know, Balbriggan Educate Together uh, Gaelic football team and hurling team would would go out and, uh, you know, like kind of win, win matches and win leagues and see that as a success criteria for us. Instead, we established a, a different success criteria uh, to be that, you know, um, everybody who signed up and who skipped their lunchtime 
normal activities and came and went out with the people who are training the Gaelic football team or the cross-country team, that they were the people who got the jersey then to play in in, in the match. So um, uh, things such as encouraging, you know, participation, encouraging perseverance, encouraging um, rather than necessarily, like, like the club can bring on the precocious sports person. Um, they don't. They don't need schools to do that. Um, uh, but the school can be the opportunity for the uh, either the precocious sports person who also is like, if you like, uh, a very fair-minded um, individual. I'm, I'm thinking of one of our past pupils now, who is now a current um, soccer star. He's, he's he's on all the, the underage teams on the way on the way through, and he was also like a fabulously encouraging teammate. And he yeah. never would think twice about not passing the ball to a person who he knew was not as good as him. And he also would model losing a, a match really well or he would be as excited about winning a match against another opposition as any of the rest of, of the boys and girls. And he made our he would have made our teams adequately competitive because like it is a competition, so you have to be adequately competitive, not super competitive, but you have to be a- a- ad- adequately competitive. And he would have turned up for training sessions and it would have been very respectful to referees and respectful to coaches. And that, but then we have had other precocious uh, children, whatever, and you know um, uh, they would have had to learn those things and sometimes learn them the hard way. They they didn't come out to the training sessions and then suddenly they're not on the school team mm. that's going off to play Lakshini or somebody. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know, uh, so learning like, like learning that. So I, I would I would encourage schools uh to also hold on to all of their citizenship remits uh ab- about fair play, about uh uh, not using foul language, about being respectful of m- mentors and coaches and referees, uh, etc. I would I would encourage schools to be confident uh, about promoting that on their school teams, rather than necessarily being year in year out in Parnell Park, winning um, winning winning competitions. Absolutely, um, I think what that is is about building character, isn't it? It's about building good people and encouraging all aspects of a, a young person's um, uh, character. Like that, that's, I think that's what every teacher, principal, parent wants to hear that their child is like, you know, that that passing the ball to whoever, not looking for the next best person on the team to get that ball to. And I know that this is something that we've spoken about before and we are going to speak about it in a future podcast is about the young people from schools who are who are excellent in their fields, who are excellent at soccer or particularly soccer and they are scouted and they're brought over to the UK. How they manage that like, is, is beyond me. And I'm really looking forward to speaking to you about that again because that's about character. That's about resilience. That's about so many more things than being able to um, score, t- score 10 goals in a game. Um, and so what you're saying, Fintan, is it, it is really important, uh, and, and Angela too, um, it is really important to have these people in and to, you know, and for the kids who aren't learning that to not get the games just because they are brilliant. And so it's creating, like, it's a whole 
full circle effect, I suppose. So look, I think we've come to the end of this episode of our podcast. And I'd just like to thank you, Fintan, and you, Angela, for being here and for the great chat. And for Sarah too, our multimedia designer, thank you for being here. Thanks too to the Dublin Podcast Studio here in Dundrum for their expertise. And thank you at home to everybody who is listening. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about what we are up to at Emu Inc, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Um, we're at Emu Publishing. Rate, review and subscribe to our podcast and log on to emuinc.ie for more information. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.